was going to be gruesome. It was going to be bloody. And I hoped for a quick death instead of being eaten alive. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. And I'm Erin Jones. It's almost summer. Bears and rodents are emerging from hibernation, and other animals are getting restless. Elk and deer are spreading into their summer range, are having babies. So this time on Human Nature, we'll hear four stories where humans and animals meet. Matt Manguso grew up in the city. I was born and raised in Long Island, New York, city kid my whole life. And then I uh, kind of got fed up with what I was doing and where I was living and decided to apply for a bunch of reporter jobs anywhere sort of west of the Rocky Mountains. I was an English major in college and uh, wanted to have a job where I was forced to sort of write every day so I could really expand on those skills. So lo and behold, this little tiny newspaper in uh, Pinedale, Wyoming offered me a job and I said, yeah, I'll take it, hung up and started packing and two weeks later I was there. I think like less than a week after I'd been there, my phone just completely died on me, uh, just totally crapped out on me one day. So much to my surprise and astonishment, again, no longer being in New York, I found out that the closest place I could go to get the replacement was about 70 miles north of Pinedale up in Jackson. I was like, okay, so I got in the car and headed up, and it was like about early September at this point, which is just one of the most beautiful drives in the world. I think everybody should do it at one point in their lives. As I'm coming north out of the canyon on the Hoback side, come around a bend, and I see just standing in this field this gigantic bull moose. So, of course, I slam on my brakes like a proper, you know, tourist new transplant, whip out my camera and start snapping a bunch of pictures and come to quickly realize that that's not a real moose, that's a statue of a moose. Okay, uh, Wyoming sort of tricked me on my first run out, no worries. So, whatever, head up to Jackson, get my new phone, everything's fine. A little bit later, around late October, it's Halloween, and I was, like, so excited to see that, like, Pinedale loves Halloween. Every, the whole town gets dressed up, and everybody goes out to the bars, and it's a lot of fun. So, had a couple of friends. We were at one bar and heading over to the next one, and my buddy turns to me and says, Hey, listen, you know, part of the tradition of when you move to Pinedale is you got to ride the moose. And I say, what moose? And he points, and in front of the local Chinese restaurant is a statue of a moose, which looks almost identical to the one that's in the canyon there. So having a few drinks in me, not too many just yet, I say, hell yeah, man. So I pop over the fence, climb up on a rock, and hop up on the moose. He snaps a bunch of pictures of me. We're both laughing our heads off, jump down, go into the bar, and I'm all super proud of myself. You know, here I am, this stupid city kid living in Wyoming, and, uh, you know, sort of have my rite of passage, and I'm telling everybody in the bar, hey, I rode the moose, I'm here, I'm into it, I'm part of the town now, and everyone's like, what are you talking about, dude? Did the cops see you? I'm like, no, why? They said, oh, that's like one of the spots they always look out to grab drunken people riding the stupid moose. So I look at my buddy, who now, of course, is like laughing hysterically because he totally got me, but, you know, he bought me a shot as sort of a welcome to town sort of thing. 
cut to about a year and a half later. It's the following August, I guess. And me and two of my buddies, Cody and Pete, decided to go up and do some deer scouting just north of uh, New Fork Lakes there. You know, it was just one of those, like, just this last sort of last weekend of summer. It's just warm. It's sunny. It's beautiful. And just embracing those moments is so important because you know that once the snow starts flying, it's going to be another six, seven, eight, who knows how many months until it stops and warms up again. You know, we did some kind of scouting, but mostly it was just an excuse to get out in the woods and walk around and have a beer around the truck sort of thing and enjoy the last little vestiges of summer. So we had made some arrangement with some other friends and uh, our girlfriends at the time that we're going to go out scouting throughout the day. And then you guys meet us down at the New Fork Lake campground. We'll come meet with you and we'll all spend the night there. So we get through with doing whatever we were doing, scouting and whatnot, um, and get back to the campground and, you know, much to our happiness, the, you know, tents are set up, the chips are coming out, fire's going, meat's grilling, everything's wonderful again, just like one of these perfect picturesque end of summer Wyoming weekends in the woods. So we're standing there, and uh, we were in a group site, so, you know, the group sites are typically a little bit further away from the main campground, so we were kind of secluded, and there's just this big ring of trees sort of around us, and we're in this little open spot. And I'm standing at a picnic table, and the woods are sort of to my back, and my girlfriend, now wife, is on the other side sort of getting everything arranged, and she looks up at me and just as calm as anything, as nonchalantly as if she was telling me what time it was, says... There's a really big moose behind you. And I'm kind of like, it doesn't really register at first, so I'm just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, so going to do whatever I'm doing uh, with the food, and then it sort of processes in my head and registers. And I go, what did you just say? And she says, there's a really big moose right behind you. So now I turn around and... She was not lying about maybe 20, 25 feet behind me is the most enormous, gigantic moose, bull moose, mind you, I've ever seen in my entire life. So when I look at it, my first instinct now is thinking every moose I've seen in Wyoming thus far has been, you know, made of plaster and metal and, you know, phony antlers. So this is probably just a statue, right? And now he lets out this grunt that just sort of like reverberates right through my chest. And I just sort of go, uh, oh God, uh, help somebody moose. And my friends were sort of a mixture of locals and transplants. And in that moment, it was really easy to see who were the transplants and who were the locals because the transplants all sort of scattered back toward our tents and toward the center of the campground. And the locals just picked up pots and pans and just went, right after the moose smacking everything, chasing it away. So when he sees them, all them coming, he turns around and runs, but unknowing to the folks who were chasing him away, they actually drove him right into one of my other friends who was setting up his hammock in the woods. So all of a sudden, he comes tearing out of the woods, screaming that there's a moose chasing him, and I wouldn't say the moose was charging him, but it was definitely very confidently striding behind him, sort of, you know, making sure he was getting out of there. So now we're just all watching this moose, and he's just kind of sort of standing there um, watching us, and he just begins to sort of very, again, confidently patrolling the perimeter, just sort of walking around the tent. 
so he sort of does that and then he disappears and we're like, okay, he was probably just checking out the scene. He's going to go do whatever he's going to do now. We're going to go do whatever we were going to do. So we start setting up for food and stuff and sort of sit down. About 30 minutes later, he just all of a sudden appears again, staring down at us just inside the tree line. He watches us for a moment. He starts sort of pacing around again. And then just sort of out of nowhere, he just starts pounding into the earth with his hooves and with his paddles, kicking up dust and leaves and dirt, tossing the dirt and the soil into the air. And he just is doing this for like five minutes and nobody really knows what's going on. As soon as he gets it to the depth and the size that he wants it to get to, he stands over it and just starts peeing into the hole. And it was like, it sounded like a waterfall, and he had to have peed for at least 10 or 15 minutes. At least that's what it seemed like to us. It was almost like, I think somebody even at the campground like sort of quoted a league of their own and was just like, boy, that was some good peeing, man. Because it was really impressive the amount that he peed in. And then he starts to roll in it. Now he's rolling in it, he's doing all this stuff, and right as he is doing that, the wind begins to shift and just sends all of this delicious scent of bull moose hormone-ridden urine right into our camp. So at that point, we were all just like, okay, everybody sort of lost their appetite. Well, let's uncork the whiskey, let's tip that back a little bit, and let's just sort of see what happens with this guy. He goes back to his sort of patrolling, and very shortly thereafter, he disappears back into the shadows, and we carry on with our night. We don't really see him for the rest of the night. Cut to a little bit later, everybody goes to bed, and uh, I wake up the next morning. It's early. The sun is just about coming up, and all I can hear is just this, like, very faint sort of whiny, like, mm, 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 sound. And a couple of us had had some dogs with us, so my first thought was, oh, somebody's dog must have just gotten out of the tent in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and he's, like, trying to get in back into the tent. So let me see, you know, what's going on. And I unzipped the flap of the tent, and I poke my head out, and there, sitting right in front of my tent, practically nose-to-nose -nose with him, I could smell his breath, is the moose. So... At this point, I don't know what to do. I am in the tent, my girlfriend is sleeping pretty soundly, and I'm just staring face to face with this gigantic bull moose. And I don't really know what to do, and I look at him and he doesn't really know what to do, and we both sort of look at each other for a few seconds. Felt like an hour must have gone by, but it couldn't have been more than half a minute. And I just sort of take a deep breath, and I go, okay. I put my head back in the tent, I zip it back up, and I go and I just like, huddle under my sleeping bag like a little kid who thinks that, you know, his covers is going to save him from the monsters that are haunting his room. And I just say, okay, I don't know, whatever's going to happen, he's going to do whatever he's going to do, but I'm just going to sit here, I am freaking out. My girlfriend leans over and goes, what's going on out there? And, you know, very chivalrously, I say, oh, nothing, nothing at all. Don't worry about it, go back to bed. So she goes back to bed, I pretend to go back to sleep, but I am just sitting there wondering what's going to happen. And then very slowly, I sort of hear him trod back off into the woods, doing this very soft, faint, like, mm, 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 sound. He walks off, and we all get up the next morning, and 
he's gone. We don't see him. We break down camp, and I'm sure he was very happy to get rid of us so he could keep going on with his early autumn courting. And that's my moose story. That's Matt Manguso, who now lives in Washington. Matt got really lucky. So lucky. Clearly, that moose encounter left an impression on him. Playwright Dale Dunn still remembers a few seconds on a highway in New Mexico. I was uh, on a road trip with a friend of mine, and we were actually coming home from the road trip. We'd been up in northern New Mexico exploring a little bit. And we were coming into Santa Fe, and it was just starting to get dark. And everybody was starting to turn their headlights on. I turned mine on, and these yellow eyes got caught in the headlights. And at first I thought, is that running across the road? No, it's running straight at me. And as I get closer, I think, it's dogs. It's two dogs running on the road. Oh my gosh, they're going to get hit. And as I get even closer to them, both my friend and I say, at the exact same time, wolves. And there's two wolves running in the lane, in my lane, in the highway straight at me. I start to slow down. There's traffic on the right, a divider on the left. There's no place I can go to avoid them. I'm easing up because there's traffic right behind me. Everybody's coming into town 60 miles an hour. I ease off on the accelerator, and I think, well, I can swerve a little to the left to try to give them room, but I can't swerve much because there's this concrete divider there. I'm just holding on to the steering wheel, and they go right by me. I don't hit them. Nobody else slows down. They're gone. And my friend and I look at each other, and we both say, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. Those were wolves, right? Yes, they were wolves. And the hair on the back of our neck stood up, and I don't know what happened to them. Nobody else slowed down. It just kept going. That's Dale Dunn. She found out that she saw Mexican gray wolves traveling on the highway because of deep snow. They inspired Dale's play, The Big Heartless, which explores wildness through teenage runaways and wolves. Animals inspire artists all the time. Take Tara Pappas. As a mixed media artist, a lot of my pieces have bears in them. And I think the reason that I paint a lot of bears is because of a couple different bear encounters I've had. But the most intense one was over a summer I was working at Yosemite National Park um, and I was a crew leader for the Youth Conservation Corps. And so we were there and it was before the kids were there. And I liked to wake up early in the morning and just go for a walk in the woods and I would bring a book with me and I'd always kind of sit down somewhere and enjoy reading my book, drink my coffee, have a nice morning. And so one morning I was out with my book and I found this old log to sit next to and I kind of propped myself up against the log and 
I was starting to read and I started hearing this cracking noise coming from uh, pretty close to me, but kind of off in the distance. And this big bear came into the clearing where I was sitting and reading. And I remember just feeling kind of a lump in my throat and I kind of froze for a second. And I watched him and he started coming into the clearing and started foraging under this other log that was just across from me. And he knocked it over and was looking for bugs and that kind of thing. And then he turned and he started walking towards me and I remember just telling myself, just don't move, keep looking down at your book, keep reading. And so I, I looked back down at my book and I just kept reading the words and I remember I was so scared that I just kept reading the same couple words over and over again. And he ended up coming full circle around to me, walked right up to me, um, sniffed me on my leg, and then snuffed back out so I could feel the air on my leg. And then he walked away. And it was just kind of this, I won't say peaceful, <laughs> because I was pretty nervous at the time. But it was just kind of one of those things where it was like, okay, I'm here, you're here. <laughs> We're both enjoying our morning together. And and that was it. He left. And I think subconsciously, it's just kind of stuck with me and kind of entered into a lot of the art that I make now. Tara Pappas is a mixed media artist in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and much of her art includes bears. Caroline, have you ever had a memorable encounter with an animal? So there was this one time, uh, Luke, who's my husband, he and I were out up in the woods, in the mountains, having a campfire. As the fire is dying down, we're basically getting ready to put it out. So the flame's coming really low, the circle of light is coming in, and we're pretty far out there, it's pretty dark, and all of a sudden, just outside of the last little glow of the campfire, we see this animal, and we had been thinking and talking about mountain lions earlier than day, so we see this animal, and it's sort of tan-colored, and it looks like it's stalking through the grass outside of this ring where the campfire was, and we both are just, like, really still and sort of terrified. And so one of us grabs a flashlight and shines it, totally expecting this to be a mountain lion. And it was a deer. And then it just hopped away very undignified. And we <laughs> felt really stupid. And But we still ran to the car because I think we were still both scared of mountain lions. <laughs> My animal encounters nothing so suspenseful as that. One time I was hiking on a trail in Colorado and I was walking down the trail and then I realized that the trail went straight through what I can only call a herd of moose. And I don't know what the proper term for a group of moose is because you never see moose in herds. You only see them by themselves. But this was a bona fide herd of moose <laughs> and it had bulls and cows and calves. Like it was a whole like multi-family group. <laughs> and the trail just went straight through them in moose charge and they're really dangerous and so I was really nervous and so I had to just go an extra half mile making a huge semicircle around them and I went downhill so that I wouldn't spook them and they just kind of stared at me and chomped on their grass and then we all went on our way. <laughs> 
And that was my moose encounter. <laughs> But it's always fun to think about animal encounters and how they change your life and make you think about your encounters with wildness and yeah, humans definitely. and nature. Even when they turn out to not be what you're expecting. Yeah. In a good way, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like mountain lions that turn out to be deer and moose that turn out to be families. Family, family moose. Family friendly moose. <laughs> um, to that end, our last story is about a startling encounter. Faye Fulton was living in North Carolina. I was so excited because I was going to get to go to Alaska. I'd been to all of the other 49 states, and I just could not wait to get up there to the great white north. But I was traveling to Juneau for work. I was going to be there for a week. And because it was someplace that I'd never been before, I had planned to stay over the entire weekend so I could explore. And I was hoping I could see some wildlife. You know, a caribou, an arctic fox, a bear. And when I landed in Juneau, I was just exhausted. I'd been traveling all day long, and my flight across the country was really long. Then I had a three-hour layover in the Seattle airport before I ever boarded the plane to Juneau. We started our descent, and just as I spotted the ground, I heard the flight attendant say, and remember, Juneau is the only U.S. capital you cannot drive in or out of. And I thought, that is ridiculous. That person just can't know what they're talking about. But I was just so tired, I decided not to ask that I would talk to the people at the rental car place. And the guy behind the rental car counter, I asked him about driving in or out of the city of Juneau. And he said, yeah, that's a true thing. Can't drive in or out of this city. The only way to get to Juneau is by plane or by boat. And I just thought, well, that, that can't be true. It, it's outrageous. I can't drive outside of the city of Juneau. And then he looked at me and he said, have you ever been to Alaska before? And I said, no, this is my first time. And he took a good long look at me and then he said, good luck with that. You don't look like our kind. <laughs> well, of course, I had to ask, what kind is that? And he said, rugged and carrying a pistol. <laughs> well, I started to wonder if exploring Alaska on my own was a good idea or if I was even cut out for such a place. Because I was up there in Alaska for work. And none of my friends, none of my family could take off from their work for that length of time. Or they couldn't afford the flight all the way up there to Alaska. So I was up there all alone. But I wasn't going to go off into the tundra. I wasn't planning on entering the Iditarod. I was going to stay in the city of Juneau or pretty close to it. Well, the week rolled by. And when Friday finally bounced around, I just could not wait to finish my business meeting. In fact, I didn't even feel like I was meant to be in that meeting for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, all I could think about was exploring Alaska. And number two, I was the only person in that room not wearing plaid. <laughs> I was just surrounded by plaid, red plaid, blue plaid, green plaid. I mean, I started feeling seasick looking out over that conference table at all that plaid. 
And no one had to ask me if I was from out of town. And we finally wrapped up the meeting and I drove back to my hotel, jumped into my walk, walking shoes, changed into my comfortable clothes. But I wasn't wearing plaid, no plaid. I knew I looked like a tourist. Got back into my rental car and I started driving south out of downtown toward the dock. And there are a couple of cruise ships there. So I passed the dock and after that, it didn't take very long before things started to thin out. There weren't many buildings around out there. I passed a couple of houses and a two-story warehouse, and then the landscape became desolate. But now I was excited because now it was really starting to look like Alaska. Well, I left the buildings behind me, and I found myself on a narrow two-lane road. And if I looked out to the right, well, that was Gastineau Bay, nothing but beautiful crystal clear water for as far as I could see. And if I looked out of the left side of the car, well, there was nothing but trees. It was a forest, actually. Um, tall, hemlocks, Sitka spruce. And those trees, well, they just smelt marvelous. Well, that part of Alaska, it looked like all the brochures I'd ever seen. No buildings, no gas stations, just beautiful trees and snow-capped mountains out in the distance. And everything was so big. I, it, it was beyond vast. And Alaska, again, it made me feel small. It made me feel humble. It was just stupendous, and I'd never been any place like it before. Well, I kept driving south, south, away from downtown Juneau, away from the buildings, out into what looked like wilderness. And I was starting to think I was falling under the spell of Alaska. I was just marveling at Mother Nature. And then I noticed I was the only car around. There weren't any other cars out there on that road. I was way out there, and I was all by myself. But I kept driving, and I thought, okay, these people around here, they've got to be crazy. I'm already outside of the city limits of Juneau. I haven't seen any road signs. I don't know where I'm going, but that's fine. That's part of being on an adventure. Well, I just kept driving, and then suddenly it happened. That little two-lane road I was on, it just stopped. The asphalt simply stopped. And beyond that point, there was nothing but grass and rocks. I, I was amazed the road just stopped. So all of those people were telling the truth. You cannot drive in or out of the city of Juneau, Alaska. Well, I was forced to turn around. I had to turn around, but there was really no place to do that. And there wasn't any paved area for a complete turn. And the ground, it was all wet. It had been raining that morning, and there were several really large potholes near me. And the last thing I wanted to do was to get that rental car stuck in the mud. So I had to maneuver that Camry and stay only on those two lanes, and that took a while. And this all happened about a year before I ever got my first cell phone. So if I got stuck out there in the mud, it could have taken hours before anyone came along to help me. Well, I finally got the Camry pointed in the correct direction, headed back toward Juno and in the correct lane. And I started wiggling around till I got comfortable and I was ready to go. 
I gently pressed down on the gas pedal. As soon as the car started going forward, something over on the tree-lined side of the road caught my eye. Something moved. It was a bear. And it wasn't a black bear like the ones I'd seen in the Smoky Mountains. No, this was an enormous, full-grown, brown grizzly bear. That bear came out of the forest and kept walking toward me. The Camry had barely started moving, and before I knew it, that grizzly was standing right in front of the car. I mean, its body was touching the front bumper of the car. And I stepped on the brakes and I just stared at that bear and that thing stared right back at me. Well, I froze. I didn't move a muscle. I didn't even breathe. I was hanging onto that steering wheel for dear life. And then that grizzly bear, it stood up on its hind legs and it looked like it was 10 feet tall. That thing had to have weighed more than 900 pounds. That bear just kept staring at me and I thought, well, if I honk the horn, It'll probably infuriate the bear. But then that grizzly, it bent over the hood of the Camry. It put both of its paws down on the car and it started bouncing up and down, up and down. And the force of that bear's weight, well, it made me and the Camry shake from side to side, up and down. And I didn't see any way out. I mean, to me, it was hopeless. And I thought, I don't want to die like this. There's nothing stopping that grizzly from getting into the car. I mean, a thin windshield wasn't going to keep a 900-pound bear from getting to me. And that bear probably could have ripped the roof right off of that car with only two of its claws. And then I thought, okay, I'm up here by myself. I mean, I'm way out here in Alaska by myself. How long is it going to take before my family, my friends, find out I'm dead? And if the grizzly does eat me, are there going to be enough remains so I can be identified? Who's going to know it was me way out here in the Maroon Camry? Now, all of those thoughts were just coursing through my mind, and the bear was still bouncing up and down on the hood. And then the grizzly just tilted its head back, opened its mouth, and it let out the most horrible sound I've ever heard. Its teeth were all yellow and it was roaring. Its gums were vibrating and moving in every which direction. It was just a matter of time now. Just seconds before that grizzly would stop bouncing, crack the windshield open and get to me. And that was the moment. That was the moment everything started moving in slow motion. The faces of all the people I love flashed before me. And then I thought, what have I done to deserve to die like this? It was going to be gruesome. It was going to be bloody. And I hoped for a quick death instead of being eaten alive. And there was just one thing I could think of. I could try to floor it and see if that would actually push the bear right off the car. But before I could do that, the grizzly stopped bouncing on the hood. It stood up to its full height, looked me dead in the face turned and walked back into the forest. It was gone. I was stunned, but I did not hesitate. I punched it and that Camry just took off. I was flying down that road and I started to cry. My heart was just pounding in my chest. I never looked back. 
I just kept pressing down on the gas pedal. And I must have driven at least 10 minutes before I ever saw another car, before I ever saw another human being, that I did not stop. I wanted out of the wilderness. I wanted back into the city. And I drove until I got to the parking lot of my hotel. I didn't speak to a soul when I crossed that lobby, got into the elevator. I walked into my hotel room, and I just sat down on the edge of the bed. My heart was still pounding, and I was just dripping with sweat. It took me quite some time to regain my composure, and I was going over everything that had just happened. I mean, I almost died. I was certain I was going to die a bone-crushing death. And I sat on that bed until my heart stopped racing. And then I took a long, hot shower, about a 45-minute long shower. And I decided to eat dinner in my room that night. And the next morning when I got up, well, I, I was feeling pretty much back to my normal self. And I still wanted to see some of Alaska. So I decided I would go out again and explore, but I wasn't going to get into the car. I was going to do it on foot. And the downtown shopping district was just a couple of blocks from my hotel. So I decided I would spend my Saturday window shopping. And when I got downtown, it was just a gorgeous old historic downtown with beautiful buildings built in the early 1900s. Well, I went over to the first shop I saw and I got close to the front door, put my hand on the doorknob and as I was turning the doorknob, I noticed there was a sign right beside the door. And the sign read, watch out for bears. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's gotta be something tourists buy. They bring it back home as a souvenir or a reminder of their trip. So I went inside the store. I was there 10, 15 minutes and went back outside, walked a couple more feet down Main Street, and I started to enter another store. And the same thing happened. I got close to the door, and there was another sign. And that sign read, be on the lookout for bears. Well, then my stomach turned. I just felt sick to my stomach. I walked inside, went right over to the man seated behind the cash register, and I said, that sign over there, that sign about the bears, is that for real or is that something tourists buy? And he just briefly looked up at me and said, no, that sign is real. Bears wander into downtown all the time. I saw one right outside this window two days ago. Well, that was all I needed to hear. No one had to tell me twice. My Juno adventure was over. I was not going to be able to go out to the Mendenthal Glacier like I thought I would. I wasn't going to go out there because if I went out there on the glacier, I might have an encounter with a polar bear. And of course, the type of bear did not matter. I was not willing to get anywhere near the vicinity of another bear. So I rushed back to the hotel. I almost ran back to the hotel. And I spent the rest of that weekend in my hotel room or in the hotel lobby. And I didn't leave that building until early Monday morning when I went back to the airport. I got up to the rental car counter. It was the same man who had checked me in the week before. And he said, well, how was your visit to Alaska? And all I could say was, I was almost eaten by a bear. Well, he started laughing. 
And then he said, now you sound like one of us. That happens every day up here. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm going home. I'm not cut out for Alaska. Faye Fulton is a professional storyteller. She's been back to Alaska since, but on those trips, she stayed in town. I'm Caroline Ballard. You can find a link to the art of all of our storytellers on our website, humannaturepodcast.org. You can also see pictures from the stories. While you're there, you can help us tell more stories with a donation. And you'll get a sticker. If you donate $25 or more, we'll thank you with a t-shirt. I'm Erin Jones. This episode was produced by me with help from Caroline Ballard and Micah Schweitzer. We also had editing help from Destiny Lamas, Anna Rader, and Greg Ronco. The theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. <laughs> <laughs> it's human.